If you're enjoying this Crush Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Questions podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high yield and high quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. This is John Damianos narrating part three of the gastroenterology chapter. Hepatic neoplasms, cavernous hemangioma, most common benign hepatic tumor caused by a proliferation of blood vessels. It is often asymptomatic and incidentally discovered, but may cause abdominal pain. Rarely, hemangiomas will rupture, causing massive blood loss. There is an uncertain link between hemangiomas and hormone use, and some physicians recommend avoiding hormonal contraception if hemangiomas are present. Lesions should not be biopsied because this might precipitate bleeding. Hepatocellular adenoma. Benign hepatic neoplasm highly associated with the use of hormonal contraception. These tumors tend to be avascular and will not bleed if biopsied. Resection of these lesions is the norm to avoid rare complications, such as rupture or transformation to hepatocellular carcinoma. Hepatocellular carcinoma, or hepatoma, HCC. Most common primary hepatic malignancy, and most often secondary to cirrhosis, viral, alcoholic, etc. Of note, HCC may develop in patients with hepatitis B before the cirrhosis occurs, although this is not the case in hepatitis C. 
Overall, however, there is a stronger association between hepatitis C and HCC. Aflatoxin, found in mold-contaminated food, is a well-known and often tested carcinogen. Symptoms include jaundice, ascites, and hepatomegaly, but patients with cirrhosis should be monitored because early HCC may be asymptomatic. The tumor marker for HCC is alpha-fetoprotein, AFP, but diagnosis should be confirmed with imaging and often biopsy. Of note, AFP acts as the fetal form of albumin. Its level is elevated in primary HCC and metastatic disease to the liver and in yolk sac tumors. In neural tube defects, the AFP level is also elevated in the mother's blood because the fetal skin is not fully intact and AFP leaks into the mother's circulation. In Down syndrome, the levels in the mother's blood are decreased, presumably because the size of the fetus and yolk sac are decreased. It is important to remember that secondary hepatic malignancies are more common than primary hepatic malignancies because of the dual blood supply of the liver and portal drainage. Cholangiocarcinoma. The second most common primary malignancy of the liver that arises from bile ducts. These tumors may be asymptomatic or may present with biliary obstruction, jaundice, cholangitis, or abdominal pain. Disorders of bilirubin metabolism. Gilbert syndrome. Common and benign cause of jaundice caused by reduced activity of glucuronal transferase, the enzyme responsible for the conjugation of bilirubin. Without conjugation, the bilirubin remains insoluble and incapable of being excreted into bile. Those affected may have mild jaundice, especially in times of stress or dehydration, or an increase in the indirect bilirubin level found incidentally on laboratory studies. There are no sequelae, and treatment is not necessary. Krigler-Najjar syndrome. Rare autosomal recessive condition leading to near-total absence of functional glucuronal transferase and inability to conjugate, and therefore excrete, bilirubin. Type 1 is most severe and leads to kernicterus and early death if aggressive phototherapy and or plasmapheresis are not initiated. Type 2 is a significant but incomplete absence of glucuronal transferase, and survival to adulthood is the norm. Laboratory tests reveal elevated indirect bilirubin levels. Dubin-Johnson syndrome. Rare autosomal recessive condition characterized by inability to excrete conjugated bilirubin into the bile. Characteristically, the liver will be black in these patients because of pigment deposition in lysosomes. Most patients are asymptomatic or have only mild jaundice. They rarely require treatment. Rotor syndrome is even milder, and the patient's liver does not turn black. Autoimmune disorders. Primary biliary cholangitis, PBC, previously known as primary biliary cirrhosis, is an autoimmune disease caused by the lymphocytic destruction of bile canaliculi and small intrahepatic bile ducts. It is more common in women 
and is associated with positive anti-mitochondrial antibody serology. Symptoms begin as fatigue and pruritus and progress to cirrhosis and portal hypertension. Disease progression is slow over the course of decades, however, and many cases are discovered on incidental laboratory finding of elevated alkaline phosphatase, or GGT, before becoming symptomatic. It is associated with other autoimmune conditions, such as Sjogren's syndrome, Crest syndrome, and autoimmune thyroiditis. Primary sclerosing cholangitis, PSC, is caused by destruction farther down the biliary tree of intra- and extrahepatic bile ducts. Preserved sections become dilated, which leads to a beating appearance on imaging with endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, ERCP, or magnetic resonance cholangiopancreatography, MRCP. Serologic testing may reveal P-ANCA positivity, and biopsy reveals the onion skin scar pattern of circumferential bile duct fibrosis. Ulcerative colitis is also present 70% of the time. Like PBC, PSC is often discovered incidentally, especially when people with UC are screened. Symptoms begin as fatigue and pruritus and then progress over years to cirrhosis. Patients are also predisposed to cholangitis, pancreatitis, and cholangiocarcinoma. Gallbladder and pancreas. Gallstones. Risk factors for cholesterol stones include the four Fs, fat, female, 40, and fertile. These factors combine to create a high cholesterol, low gallbladder motility environment. Progesterone specifically inhibits gallbladder motility in an analogous manner to its inhibition of uterine smooth muscle contraction during pregnancy. Pigment stones are composed of bilirubin precipitate and are found secondary to high red blood cell turnover. For example, a patient with sickle cell anemia and right upper quadrant pain may have symptomatic pigment stone cholelithiasis. In general, Stones are best diagnosed with ultrasound because they have a different density from that of the surrounding structures. See figure 10.25. Although pigment stones are generally radiopaque, conventional radiographs are less helpful because the much more common cholesterol stones are generally radiolucent. Asymptomatic gallstones found on ultrasound require no treatment. Elective surgery is generally recommended for symptomatic cholelithiasis, whereas cholecystitis, inflammation of the gallbladder and surrounding tissues from an impacted stone, requires antibiotics and urgent surgical attention. Stone impaction within the common bile duct, cholodocolithiasis, can lead to cholangitis, ascending infection of the biliary tree. These patients often require endoscopic stone removal via ERCP as well as IV antibiotics. Symptomatic cholelithiasis, biliary colic. Gallstones, when symptomatic, cause colicky right upper quadrant pain after fatty meals when the gallbladder contracts against a stone lodged in the cystic duct under the stimulation of CCK. Murphy's sign will not be present. Cholecystitis, an inflammatory process in the gallbladder, 
often secondary to stasis from a stone in the gallbladder neck or cystic duct, or, less likely, biliary sludging. Secondary infection often occurs, especially with Escherichia coli, Enterococcus, or Klebsiella. Clinically, acute cholecystitis presents as constant or worsening right upper quadrant pain, fever, and positive Murphy sign. Laboratory testing may reveal leukocytosis, elevated liver enzymes, and elevated alkaline phosphatase. Repeated bouts of acute cholecystitis that go untreated may lead to chronic cholecystitis. Chronic cholecystitis can lead to calcium deposition, which makes the gallbladder radiopaque and is called a porcelain gallbladder. Porcelain gallbladder may predispose patients to adenocarcinoma and so is treated with prophylactic cholecystectomy. Cholangitis Bacterial infection of the biliary tree that causes a clinically severe presentation of fever, right upper quadrant pain, and jaundice, Charcot triad. It may progress to include hypotension and altered mental status, Reynolds pentad. Expect elevation in AST, ALT, conjugated bilirubin, and alkaline phosphatase levels. Elevated amylase and lipase levels suggest associated pancreatitis. In this context, abdominal ultrasound revealing gallstones is highly suggestive of cholangitis. Endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, ERCP, would be diagnostic and therapeutic. Acute pancreatitis. Symptoms of epigastric abdominal pain radiating to the back with elevated amylase and lipase levels. Lipase is more specific. Usually caused by gallstones present in the ampulla, causing reflux of pancreatic enzymes, leading to autodigestion and inflammation of the pancreas. Alcohol use is another common cause. Other causes include hypertriglyceridemia, over 1,000 mg per deciliter, hypercalcemia, trauma, mumps, and medication, especially antiretrovirals and diuretics. An interesting but rare cause of pancreatitis is a scorpion sting. Presentation ranges from mild pain to life-threatening inflammation with multi-system organ failure. Necrotizing pancreatitis is a particularly severe form of pancreatitis characterized by hemorrhage into pancreatic tissue with associated necrosis of acinar, ductal, and islet tissue. Pancreatic pseudocysts are a potential complication of acute pancreatitis. Necrotic pancreatic debris becomes surrounded by fibrous tissue. They are termed pseudocysts because they are walled off by fibrous tissue rather than an epithelial cell layer. Pseudocysts may be asymptomatic, but they also may compress local structures or even become infected later on. Chronic pancreatitis. Patients may present with exocrine insufficiency, malabsorption, or endocrine insufficiency, diabetes. Pain may or may not be a feature. Malabsorption often leads to a deficiency of fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. Amylase and lipase levels are often normal. Chronic pancreatitis usually is the result of alcoholism, because ethanol, 
can alter zymogen activation. It may also be a complication of cystic fibrosis caused by thickened pancreatic secretions. Of note, chronic pancreatitis is not a complication of gallstones. Abdominal radiography may reveal calcification of the pancreas. See figure 10.26. In an alcoholic suffering from intractable steatorrhea, oily, fat-containing stool, consider chronic pancreatitis. A lack of pancreatic enzymes, including lipase, and subsequent impaired digestion contribute to this malabsorptive syndrome. Alcohol causes chronic pancreatitis. Gallstones do not. Pancreatic adenocarcinoma. Patients often present with painless jaundice, weight loss, early satiety, and or abdominal pain radiating to the back. Physical examination may reveal a palpable gallbladder, courvoisier sign, or abdominal mass. Laboratory testing shows elevated bilirubin and alkaline phosphatase levels, but only if the tumor obstructs the biliary tree. These findings can be summarized as an obstructive process leading to failure of excretion of bile and bilirubin. Cancer antigen, CA, 19-9, and to a lesser extent, carcinoembryonic antigen, CEA, are tumor markers that can be used to track response to therapy but are not sensitive or specific enough to be used in screening. Diagnosis requires imaging, often CT, and may be confirmed with biopsy, often performed endoscopically. Pancreatic cancer has a poor prognosis because it often presents late, early stages are asymptomatic, and it responds poorly to chemotherapy. A pancreaticoduodenectomy, Whipple procedure, is potentially curable if the entire mass is resected. However, metastases, especially to the liver, are often already present at the time of diagnosis. Masses in the head of the pancreas have a better prognosis because they are more likely to obstruct early and therefore can be detected early. Trousseau sign of malignancy, migratory thrombophlebitis, is recurrent blood clots in multiple superficial veins that occur because of the overall hypercoagulable state of malignancy. It may occur in many malignancies, but is particularly associated with pancreatic adenocarcinoma. Hernias. A hernia is the protrusion of a peritoneal sac through a musculoaponeurotic barrier, usually a fascial defect. Inguinal hernias are common examples and often present as palpable swellings within defined regions. They may or may not be painful and may or may not be able to be reduced, pushed back into place. However, almost all hernias should be repaired because of the risk of strangulation, compromised blood supply leading to ischemia and infarction. Inguinal triangle, Hesselbach triangle. The anatomic region bounded by the inguinal ligament, inferior epigastric artery, and the edge of the rectus abdominis muscle. Inguinal hernias within this region are considered direct hernias. Direct inguinal hernia. A protrusion of bowel or omentum medial to the inferior epigastric artery. See figure 10.27a. The parietal peritoneum forms the hernia sac for direct hernias. 
direct hernias proceed directly through the abdominal musculature and do not pass through the inguinal canal. For this reason, they rarely are found in the scrotum. They are most common in men because of weakening of the abdominal wall. Indirect inguinal hernia. A protrusion of bowel or omentum through the internal inguinal ring, the inguinal canal, and the external inguinal ring. See figure 10.27b. The hernia sac is formed by the processus vaginalis within the scrotum. Indirect inguinal hernias are more common in infants and children because of the congenital persistence of the processus vaginalis. They occur lateral to the inferior epigastric artery. Note that indirect hernias pass through the internal ring into the scrotum and are common in infancy. Femoral hernia. A protrusion of bowel or omentum inferior to the inguinal ligament through the femoral canal. See figure 10.27c. Femoral hernias are more common in females secondary to the wider structure of the bony pelvis. Pediatric gastroenterology and hepatology. Tracheoesophageal fistula. Congenital abnormal connection between the esophagus and trachea, most often an atresia of the upper esophagus and a fistula between the lower esophagus and trachea. See figure 10.28. It often presents at birth with copious salivation, choking, and cyanosis with feeding. There is also an inability to pass a nasogastric tube. It is one of the vactoral anomalies. See chapter 4. The presence of congenital gastrointestinal atresia should prompt evaluation for other congenital anomalies. Pyloric stenosis. Hypertrophy of the muscularis propria in the pylorus, leading to narrowing and lengthening of the canal and inability to pass gastric contents into the small intestine. The underlying etiology is not known, although there is a genetic component and it is more commonly found in firstborn boys. It presents around the fourth week of life as projectile non-bilious vomiting after feeds associated with a voracious appetite. A right upper quadrant abdominal mass, palpable olive, may be felt on physical examination. Diagnosis is accomplished with ultrasound or barium radiography. Surgery, pyloric myotomy, is the definitive treatment. Duodenal atresia. Congenital intestinal obstruction caused by failure to canalize the duodenum. It presents as bilious vomiting in the first day of life, earlier than in pyloric stenosis. Abdominal radiography reveals the double bubble sign, two air-filled spaces representing the stomach and duodenum. See figure 10.29. Duodenal atresia is present in approximately 2.5% of neonates with Down syndrome. Meconium ileus. Presents as failure to pass meconium and almost pathognomonic of cystic fibrosis. Abnormal GI secretions cause thickened meconium that can obstruct the lumen of the small bowel. Ileus is actually a misnomer, because this is a mechanical obstruction, not a motility disorder. Congenital aganglionic megacolon, Hirschsprung disease, presents as failure to pass meconium. 
This condition is caused by a failure of embryologic neural crest cell migration, leading to the absence of the submucosal and myenteric plexus in a segment of distal colon. Because there is no functional peristalsis, an obstruction occurs. A digital rectal examination may temporarily dilate the affected section, leading to a large, forceful bowel movement, the squirt sign. A barium enema will display a narrowing at the affected site and dilation of proximal segments to compensate for the inability to move stool forward. A massively dilated proximal segment is called megacolon. Biopsy is diagnostic and reveals an absence of ganglion cells. Surgery is usually curative. Imperforate anus. Congenital anal atresia often presents as failure to pass meconium and absence of an anus on physical examination. Dilation of the colon will also be present. It is associated with Down syndrome and is one of the vactoral anomalies. Intestinal atresia. The most commonly occurring and tested forms of intestinal atresia are reviewed earlier and include esophageal atresia with fistula, duodenal atresia, and imperforate anus. Atresia may also occur at any other location along the GI tract and will usually present with symptoms of bowel obstruction. Necrotizing enterocolitis. A condition of premature and low birth weight infants in which colonic bacteria take advantage of a neonate's relatively weak immune system to invade the bowel wall. The bacterial invasion leads to pneumatosis intestinalis, air in the bowel wall, and bowel necrosis. Neonatal hyperbilirubinemia. Physiologic jaundice. Unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia caused by the neonatal liver's inability to compensate fully for the rapid turnover of red blood cells during the transition from fetal hemoglobin to adult hemoglobin. Jaundice usually occurs after 24 to 48 hours and improves or resolves after 1 to 2 weeks. Kernicterus is a potential complication of all neonatal hyperbilirubinemia, and occurs when bilirubin is deposited in the brain, leading to mental disability. If bilirubin levels are concerning, phototherapy can be performed. This converts bilirubin to a water-soluble form that can be excreted without the need for conjugation. Non-physiologic jaundice. The most severe form of neonatal jaundice is hemolytic disease of the newborn. It occurs when a sensitized Rh-negative mother gives birth to an Rh-positive fetus. These neonates will have an unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia immediately after birth and will have a positive direct Coombs test. Traumatic injuries during birth may also result in hematoma formation and red blood cell breakdown, leading to jaundice. Neonatal jaundice may also indicate enzymatic deficiencies, such as those in Gilbert, Krigler-Najjar, Roeder, or Dubin-Johnson syndrome. Biliary atresia is one of the most common and severe forms of non-physiologic jaundice. It is caused by postpartum inflammation of the extrahepatic biliary tree, leading to fibrosis and obstruction. The underlying cause is not clear. The condition presents with jaundice, acolic stools, and hyperbilirubinemia, in the first three months of life. 
It then progresses to cirrhosis. Definitive treatment is with surgical intervention, Kasai procedure, and many patients require liver transplantation. Ray syndrome. Thought to be secondary to aspirin use in children with viral illnesses, this condition leads to mitochondrial dysfunction. Although many systems are affected, liver failure and encephalopathy are the most distinguishing features. Therefore, aspirin is generally contraindicated in children. One exception to this rule is for Kawasaki disease. See Chapter 8. Meckel diverticulum. A true diverticulum, includes all layers of the GI gut wall, caused by a remnant of the vitiline duct, embryologic connection to the yolk sac. It is commonly remembered by the rule of two, found in 2% of the population, usually occurs within two feet of the ileocecal valve, two inches in length, containing two types of ectopic tissue, gastric and pancreatic, and with 2% of those affected becoming symptomatic, usually before two years of age. It often presents as a sudden onset of painless melena or hematochesia discovered in the diaper of an otherwise healthy and happy baby. Less commonly, the presence of gastric mucosa may cause intestinal ulcerations that mimic acute appendicitis as a result of secretion of acid. A technetium scan is used for diagnosis because it detects the ectopic gastric mucosa. Treatment is surgical removal. Annular pancreas. Embryologic abnormality in which a bifid ventral pancreatic bud grows around the duodenum. If symptomatic, it can lead to obstruction of the duodenum and projectile vomiting within the first few days of life. This is in contrast to another congenital abnormality, pancreas divisum, where the embryologic dorsal and ventral buds fail to fuse, leading to two pancreatic ducts may be associated with pancreatitis. We will finish off the GI section with pharmacology. Antiemetics. Ondansetron. Ondansetron is a serotonin 5-HT3 antagonist. This drug is generally well tolerated with few complications. However, QT prolongation is a potential side effect. Metaclopramide. Metaclopramide's antiemetic property is from its effects as a dopamine antagonist, but its muscarinic activity increases upper GI motility. This is why it is also used as a prokinetic agent in conditions such as diabetic gastroparesis. Metaclopramide has an overlapping mechanism of action with antipsychotics, so extrapyramidal side effects, dystonia, Parkinsonism, irreversible tardive dyskinesia, may occur. Metaclopramide should be avoided in patients with suspected small bowel obstruction because the prokinetic activity may actually worsen the symptoms or precipitate perforation. It should also be avoided in patients with Parkinson's disease. Antacids. Proton pump inhibitors. Proton pump inhibitors directly inhibit hydrogen-potassium ATPase on gastric parietal cells, thereby lowering gastric hydrogen ion secretion and raising pH. See figure 10.30. Medications end in the suffix prazole, omeprazole, pantoprazole, etc. 
Note that a higher gastric pH will cause increased gastrin release via a feedback loop. Long-term use has been associated with pneumonia and enteric infections, including C. difficile. Histamine 2 blockers. Histamine 2, H2, blockers antagonize H2 receptors on parietal cells, causing decreased CAMP activation of hydrogen-potassium ATPase. See figure 10.30. Medications end in the suffix tidine, cimetidine, ranitidine, famotidine, etc. Of note, cimetidine inhibits multiple cytochrome P450 enzymes, leading to elevated levels of interacting medications. Other non-interacting H2 blockers are generally preferred. Weak bases. Weak bases neutralize gastric hydrochloric acid. Examples include sodium bicarbonate, calcium carbonate, and aluminum hydroxide. They provide symptomatic relief of mild GERD. Cytoprotective agents. Bismuth sucralfate. Bismuth sucralfate binds the ulcer base, protecting it against the acidic environment and digestive enzymes. Mesoprostol. Mesoprostol is a prostaglandin E1 analog that promotes gastric secretion of mucus, bicarbonate, and gastrin. It is used to prevent NSAID-induced ulcers. Because mesoprostol is a prostaglandin E1 analog, it is also used as a cervical ripening agent for induction of labor. It can also be used to maintain a patent ductus arteriosus in congenital heart anomalies by the same mechanism of action. Inflammatory bowel disease management. Sulfasalazine. Sulfasalazine is a precursor to the NSAID 5-aminosalicylic acid, 5-ASA. This compound is used in the treatment of IBD because it is not converted to its active form until reaching the ileum. Its adverse effects on the gastric mucosa are thus avoided. Furthermore, it is poorly absorbed in the small bowel, so it can reach sufficiently high concentrations to be locally anti-inflammatory without causing systemic side effects. Others. Glucocorticoids may be needed to manage IBD. If still unresponsive, immunomodulators such as 6-mercaptopurine, azathioprine, and methotrexate should be considered. See Chapter 11. Anti-tumor necrosis factor, TNF, biologic therapy, such as adalimumab and infliximab, is generally reserved for refractory cases. See Chapter 12. Other agents. Statins. Statins are HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors, which interfere with hepatic cholesterol synthesis by inhibiting the transformation of HMG-CoA into mevalonic acid, the rate-limiting step in cholesterol synthesis. To have sufficient cholesterol to produce bile acids, hepatocytes must upregulate cholesterol receptors. Increased LDL receptors lead to a decrease in serum LDL levels. Side effects are rare, but include hepatotoxicity and myositis, so ALT, AST, and creatine kinase levels are monitored during treatment. Cholestyramine. Cholestyramine is a bile acid binding resin that renders bile salts unabsorbable. 
Initially, this drug was used to lower cholesterol by increasing the loss of bile salts, thereby increasing the hepatic conversion of cholesterol to bile salts. Currently, cholestyramine is generally used for those with disease of the terminal ileum, such as Crohn's disease. Bile salts that are not absorbed in the terminal ileum act as an irritant in the colon. Cholestyramine binds these irritants and prevents their cathartic effect. Side effects include GI upset and cholesterol gallstones. Because cholestyramine interferes with lipid absorption, it may interfere with the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins and medications. Loperamide. Loperamide decreases GI motility via opioid receptor-induced cholinergic inhibition of the enteric nervous system. Like all opioids, loperamide is an agonist at the opioid receptor. It does not cross the blood-brain barrier, however, so it does not have analgesic properties. Octreotide. Octreotide is a synthetic somatostatin used in the treatment of esophageal varices because of its effects as a splanchnic vasoconstrictor. Additionally, because of its inhibitory effects on the endocrine system, it is used in the treatment of VIPoma, gastrinoma, glucagonoma, carcinoid syndrome, and acromegaly. Orlistat. Orlistat is a pancreatic lipase inhibitor that prevents the digestion of triglycerides into free fatty acids. It is used in the treatment of obesity. Because triglycerides are no longer digested or absorbed, they are excreted in the feces. This may cause the predictable side effect of steatorrhea when large quantities of fat are consumed. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.